You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartreed.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here.
In this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, we are rolling back to Nevada. We're going to catch up with Cleve Dwyer for a part two. A couple weeks ago, we had Cleve on, and he did a great job talking about lion hunting in his part of the country, dry ground lion hunting, and uh, we're going we're gonna to dig deeper into this thing. In this specific episode, we're going to talk about locating and evaluating lion tracks. So we're going to talk about where you find them, and then once you find them, do you turn loose on them? Do you not turn loose on them? How do you know how old they are? A lot of good information here. You're not going to be disappointed. Cleve Dwyer and his brother Monty have spent over 20 years chasing mountain lions in Nevada, all over the state. And it's a harsh environment. It ranges from snow tracks to to dry ground tracks. And the most amazing thing is Cleve is willing to share his knowledge with anyone. He has contacts with some of the greatest lion hunters in the United States, past and present. And he has been a student of mountain lion hunting and learned from some of the greatest hunters uh, that, that we have known in our lifetime. So... And the most, the most amazing thing is he's willing to share, and that's a rare thing. He's, he doesn't look at this thing as a competition. We, I think we talk about that in the episode. If we're all going to be out there together, we might as well do it right. And so, Cleve, thanks for sharing with us. Quick update on the Wisconsin wolf management situation. The Natural Resources Board recommended that a quota of 300 wolves to be taken in the 2021-2022 season uh, in Wisconsin. That is contrary to the recommendations from Fish and Wildlife Agency in Wisconsin that recommended 160 wolves or so be taken this season. That was going to be their management plan. And the Natural Resources Board stepped up and said, no, we're going to kill more wolves than than that. So uh, bear hunters, houndsmen, this is what you can do right now to make sure that the 300 number stays there and wolves are managed effectively in Wisconsin. Whether you think it should be higher or should be lower, right now is the time to make sure that that recommendation from the Natural Resources Board is carried through and is uh, uh, implemented for this season. So, first thing you can do is join the Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association. They're the number one group on the ground in the state of Wisconsin that is leading the charge and leading the fight on wolf management in the state of Wisconsin. Go to Hunter Nation. Join Hunter Nation. They are also in the fight up there. Luke Helgeman testified in front of the Natural Resources Board, and his testimony was instrumental in making sure that the number or the quota was raised there. You also should be contacting your local representatives and partnering with Farm Bureau, uh, your Beef Grower Association, your farmers, your ag groups. You should all be trying to figure out how to come together on this issue. So, guys, that's it. That's your update for this week. Cleve's already outside the truck, and he's kneeling down on the edge of the road over there. I think he's looking at a lion track. He's going to evaluate that thing, and he's going to let me know whether we can get the doors open on this Old South dog box. It's time to dump the box. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can 
Hunt It With a Hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. All right, so we're back with Cleve Dwyer, and we're going to take another round at uh, take another round at dry ground lion hunting. And we wanted to dig a little bit deeper because, uh, Cleve, I think you're the one that said that you know, we pretty much just scratched the surface on things that you wanted to talk about, which happens so often in a podcast. And then we get messages and I have received several people wanting more information. And it, it was a great episode. I appreciate, appreciate it. And, uh, here we are again, Cleve, welcome back. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's early morning. So the buckskins have re- been replaced with coffee cups. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Most of the time I'd, I'd have a whole litter of them in the refrigerator, but not today. <laughs> I think our moms will be proud of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Becky, Becky doesn't like me to start quite this early drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's, she's from the East. She's a little above the Bible belt where, where I'm from, but, uh, she is from the East. Even, even we have standards for that sort of stuff, but <clears throat> Cleve, what do you want to talk about in this episode? Cause we're, I think, I think your plan and what you would really like to do is go through the different aspects that we talked about earlier and go deeper into each one. And that was your idea. And I think it's an awesome idea and let's roll with it. So where do you want to start? Yeah, I guess we could start with, uh, Locating lion tracks, you know, in good country. What we like to do is is start dragging roads, if if uh, the terrain permits it. If the ground's not too rocky, if it's somewhat soft in places, we take advantage of that. So what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll cut down a pinyon or juniper tree that's say five to six inches in diameter at the trunk, somewhere in there, and ten or twelve feet tall, ten feet tall, somewhere in there and hook a chain to it or a big rope and drag it up the road with your pickup and typically when we do that we like to drag it so that tree is in the bar ditch of the road on the driver's side so essentially you're driving up the wrong up the road in the wrong direction and what that does is that kicks up that dirt (laughs) that softer dirt on the side of the road. If you just drug that tree up the middle of the road, that, that, uh, that soil is much harder, more gravel and rock. But if you drag it up the side of the road where that bar ditch is, you know, the County road and bridge brings through a, a motor grader and you always got soft dirt, a berm right there. And that's a good spot to keep that tree. <clears throat> Once we, uh, start dragging that tree up that road, you'll, you'll notice that tree will start dancing around and, kicking up dirt and it kind of tears the heck out of the side of the road right there in that bar ditch. And that, uh, that makes a good, good place to cut line tracks. What is the, what are the County, uh, 
greater operators think of you lion hunters for doing that. They probably think they're crazy. <laughs> and they're probably right. <clears throat> yeah. So, so at what time, I mean, do you do this while, while, when you just go out hunting or do you drag a day and a day ahead of time? Or as you rode up a Canyon with the hounds out, you're go, you go ahead and drag and, and then come back and check the next day, lay that out for us. Yeah. Typically we'll go drag roads a couple days ahead of time. Sometimes the day before uh, a client comes in or, or we want to go into an area. Sometimes we'll know about a lion that's the, that's been there and we didn't get him last week when we had another hunter in might have killed a different lion so we always got a couple up our sleeve and if if it's in an area that that uh that's a good place to drag then we'll go drag it sometimes yeah like you said two or three days ahead of time sometimes you know you'll drag 50 or 60 miles a day so that that being said you might go through three or four trees yeah and uh, drag one and get done with that and pull it off in the brush and get to the next side of the mountain range and cut down another one and drag it. Surprisingly enough, uh, there's, there's plenty of trees out here. A lot of people think there's not, but we, we have an invasive problem with juniper and pinion and uh, red cedar in places, but yeah, they're, they don't do anything any good. Mm-hmm. There's too many of them. So, well, yeah, we drag quite a, quite a few trees up the roads and, in the course of a year yeah. yeah and and have you ever drug a road and then come back and found a track like it, it when you if i drag a road say i drug a road up a canyon and i was hunting up that canyon with dogs out or whatever and then turned around and came back and found a track where i just drug an hour or two hours before um most time not so much no yeah because typically when we drag that that road we don't come back that same way that day i got you where we end up making better use of that so we try not to backtrack too much when we drag a road we go down another canyon on the other side of the mountain range or something and, and come back that way instead of backtracking it must be a lot different hunting in your country than it is like in the flathead of montana or something it seems like we would have to turn around and come out a lot of places because of closures and things like that we had to turn around and and we had no choice but to backtrack oh yeah yeah oh yeah i bet yeah you get into a lot of forest service closures up there yeah you did you you aren't facing that down in your country as much no not too much we we get into some uh designated wilderness areas or wilderness study areas and you yeah. might get up there and then it's it's wilderness so you gotta turn around but most most of the roads we drag are uh they're maintained by county road and bridge so uh, mm-hmm. they go take they typically go all the way through the mountain range yeah and then you drop into another valley and then you parallel that range for four or five miles six miles and hit another road coming back the other way going back to the way you came just to different part of the range well i would say you and i could probably go off on a tangent talking about road closures and and uh, forest management and all of that sort of stuff but um so we're dragging road and is there is there anything else that you want to add about dragging before we move on to looking for tracks um that's about it you know just if you do if you are dragging that i if i got a client with me or somebody with me if i'm driving 
I, uh, I try to make sure they're looking for oncoming traffic because you never know when a rancher, <laughs> or trapper, or a woodcutter, somebody's coming up the road. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm I'm still battling this epizootic. I don't know what it is, but uh, if you hear me coughing during this episode, it's because I've got something going on. So, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, driving on the wrong side of the road, dragging a cedar tree with a bunch of hound dogs. And you're depending on somebody else to watch for track oncoming traffic. Sounds pretty legit, Lee. It's one, <laughs> one more one more step closer to insanity. That's <laughs> uh, whoever said we were sane, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who gets up at five o'clock local time to record a podcast? Cleve Dwyer. I guess. Yeah. And you didn't get up at five. You're like you're probably up at what, four thirty, four o'clock in the morning to do this? Yeah, somewhere in there, four four thirty. Yeah, man, that's that shows the dedication. I, you know, houndsmen need to be. I, 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 they are. There are several houndsmen out there that want to share their knowledge and stuff, and I think that's that's uh, obvious with you, Cleve. Is you wanting to share your knowledge on this thing? So, um, Tell us about finding tracks. Tell us, you know, why you choose to drag areas. You just dragging every county road in the, and just taking the shotgun effect and and hoping you find something. Or, you know, what's your mindset when you decide I'm gonna hook a hook a cedar tree to the back of my truck and drive up the wrong side of the road? How do you uh, choose that spot? Uh, typically, <clears throat> typically places that uh, hold mule deer. Or- wild horses or any other kind of game that mountain lions prey on are they uh, are they preying on the wild horse population in nevada yeah quite a bit and some areas are more so than others um, that's interesting yeah i mean yeah, I, every, I think everybody knows that they that they probably would but it's not something that somebody that's not from your area we think about about that you know or a lion hunter thinks about wild horse predation yeah, yeah, because <clears throat> certain areas out here are almost void of mule deer. Certain mountain ranges out here are almost void of mule deer, but they have a stable wild horse population. Hmm. And so then mountain lions get, get accustomed to, to eating them. We've, we've killed some pretty big toms in the last three or four years that have mainly been living on wild horses. They're yeah, part wild of mountain horse, studies. Yeah, wild horses displacing mule native mule deer populations is another tangent we could go off on right oh yeah yeah there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of horse huggers out there that would not want to hear my input on that yeah yeah well um so so tell us just just keep rolling with it cleve you've got a you got a head full of knowledge and i keep interrupting you i just want you to roll this thing out how you want it to be so yeah yeah um I guess the next step is once you cut a line track, you, you'd want to assess it. And kind of the way we go about that is you'd, you'd want to assess it, whether it's a Tom or a female, if we got a client and we, we want to kill a Tom, we want to harvest a Tom, we want to let that female live. So that's where it gets kind of technical. Um, a lot of guys out in the Western States, they like to measure the stride of a line you know, say, that, oh, he's got a 43 or 44 inch stride. But uh, I, we, we try not to do that too much. It's not real accurate, I guess you would say. And uh, we, 
we'd like to go more by the size of the line track itself. So, so if you do cut a line track instead of measuring measuring the stride, we like to measure, just kind of judge the track, how wide it is, how wide the pad is, that the heel of that track, and the size of the toes, and uh, <clears throat> you can you can judge kind of whether it's a tom or female mainly by the size. If it's and also also uh, on that same point, you can kind of judge by the way it's walk and there's going to be times where you set, you cut that track and you, you just see a, that footprint in three or four places mm-hmm. and you think, okay, I think it's a Tom and you start walking it out or you kick dogs, kick dogs on it and they start trailing it. And if you watch them dogs, you'll, you'll kind of figure out where that line went. You know, them dogs are going to be right on it. And uh, if that line track goes right underneath a tree, like right at the base of a tree and, kind of slithers through some pretty tight branches right there close to that trunk mm-hmm. it's probably a female but if it goes out around the edge of that tree out the on on the outside of that tree there's a better chance it's a tom them toms don't don't like to hug that that tree and real tight cover like a female does a female she likes to hunt real tight cover compared to a tom before we get off before we get too far away let's talk about yeah. track measurement and track evaluation uh you say you're measuring pads, you're measuring toes. So what is that for your country? What is that uh, number that you're looking for, for pad size? And we're, we're talking about, you know, taking a client and, and trying to get him the best Tom available. What are those measurements? Um, Tom, a, a decent Tom's typically going to be about, a, about a two inch pad. The, the width of that pad is going to be about two inches wide versus smaller tom's going to be under that you know under mm-hmm. that two inch mark if you get a three a pad that's legitimate three inch you know no fudge and don't don't <clears throat> don't fudge at all on it he's 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 a slug that's that's a really really big one so uh that's kind of what we go by we don't always have a a uh, tape measure or nothing sometimes we'll just kind of mentally gauge it we know what we're looking at you can take a yeah, yeah, Copenhagen can works, or we use a roll of chapstick because we don't <laughs> chew. But uh, yeah, roll a chapstick or something like that's pretty good gauge on it, and, and you lay it there. And and if you can roll, if you can like lay a roll of chapstick inside that pad, that's mm-hmm. that's a monster. Inside that pad is is going to be a monster. So so how do you know? There. How do you know you're not looking at a a smaller female track? when you're measuring something, you know, say it goes an inch and a half, two inches, could mm-hmm. it be a large, a large female at that point? Yeah, it could be. Um, they could be a big female or young to medium sized Tom, small to medium sized Tom. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's something to consider. Um, on that same point, you can, uh, you can look at the toes too. Them toes, obviously on a big Tom are going to be a lot bigger than on a, on a younger Tom or a smaller Tom. But what we like to go by is you can kind of get a pretty good idea on how old that line is. I know that sounds crazy, but <clears throat> there's 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 some truth to it. if uh, if you pay attention to the toes on a big tom. Next time a guy kills a big tom or trailing one, pay attention to the toes on a big <clears throat> on a big mature tom, say five or six or eight years old. His the the points of his toes are going to be blunted. 
versus on a young tom, same size. You might have you might have two toms. They're both 140 pound toms, mm-hmm. and uh, the, you got a four year old tom and or three year old, three and a half, four year old tom, the younger tom, and you got a older tom. Say he's eight or nine. He's you know he's he's getting up there. That older toms typically have more more of a blunted point on them toes, and that comes from walking thousands and thousands of miles throughout his lifetime in rocky country mm-hmm. it builds his foot up he's got a stouter stronger looking track and those toes are going to be just fatter and more flattened out and they're going to feel the circumference of that track much more mm-hmm. so an older tom's going to have toes that look like grapes you know yeah. more like grapes and and a, a younger tom is going to look more like a teardrop Yep, exactly. Yeah, more more so. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if, uh, when somebody starts looking at them, you know, first few times, they're probably not going to notice much of a difference. But you start paying a lot of attention to it, then you'll you'll start noticing the difference. And it, it's kind of fun. You start judging them and trying to guess at them and kind of get an idea of what you think he is. And then you kill him, get him harvested, roll him over, and inspect his feet. You'll you'll start noticing them old toms he might not be a giant yeah and he might not have a huge giant track but he's if he's old he's most likely gonna have rounded blunted points on his toes you know and we'll pick up that conversation right after this word from our sponsor dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds we're talking about military grade kennel crates uh i got got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house it is super heavy duty It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel, easily fits in the back of an SUV, or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just got to check out their Dash Series. This is a watering system, and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years, but this system is all integrated into one unit, and the way it's designed out of high-impact plastic the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds, and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and at checkout enter the code hxp10 and get 10 percent off of your order this portion of the houndsman xp podcast is brought to you by tier one custom calls when it's all on the line make the choice the pros do choose tier one yep so this kind of this is kind of a rabbit path on this whole thing it has nothing to do with tracks but say you get an eight or nine year old tom and you've got a younger Tom, uh, are those lions still measuring? I mean, 140 pounds doesn't sound like a, a monster Tom, but can you still hit Boone and Crockett type scores and, and things with those eight or nine year old Toms that are only 140 pounds or so? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cause if they're up there, if they're regressing, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's still got a big frame to him. He might weigh 140, but three years ago, four years ago, he might have weighed, you know, 160, right? 155, and, and uh, he's his skull's not his 
his skull's not going to shrink. His he, whatever bone he has on his skull, he's it's mm-hmm. going to stay the same. He's going to keep it. So it's just like some, oh, we've got some big old lines that were, you know, they're they're on the downhill slide. They were they're losing body weight and they kind of look skinny and scrawny, kind of look like Pink Panther, but they right. got a big old big old bonehead on them and they scored really well. Lions actually, to me, actually look uh, more impressive because of the facts you just said. They look like the Pink Panther, but then they've got, you know, they got that big old head on them, and it, it makes them, it, it even makes them appear bigger than than what they actually are. You know, you kill a hundred and forty pounder, and everybody's like, ah, it could be a two hundred pound tom. You know, just based on the size of their head. Yeah, 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 exactly. And in all reality, you know, if he's 140 145 now maybe 10 years ago he or five years ago i'm sorry you know he was maybe 155 maybe 160 if you know if he's having having a good time good winter things are good he, he might put 15 pounds on just yeah he might have had 15 pounds earlier in his life you think you prime. think about being a tom lion that lived eight or nine years at, in those mountains the things he's seen the things he's you know the battles he's fought he's a lean mean you know he he might be on the decline but he's he's long in the tooth and he's nobody's fool you know what i mean exactly yeah he's he's been around yeah that's that's kind of like a few years back we had a really big tom we were after and as this track was big and he's had a big old tiger track to him and big old fat toes and we'd cut his track and he outran us one time and he came back and we ended up getting killed but we kept on kind of looking at his track and we thought, man, he's old, you know, his track is big old fat wide toes and, and his scratches were distinct. He had big old heavy scratches. Like, like he was really good at making them. And, uh, yeah, he had distinct scratches They're They're pretty nice. And then we finally got him killed and fishing game thought he was between 10 and 11. And okay. we, we, we judged him about, right. We said, man, he's ancient, you know, just kind of by his big old fat toes. And, and another thing to, make point of on that is it's not just their toes that take a beating from all the walking on all that rock all the years if uh, somebody pays attention mountain lion all cats have three lobes on the back of their heel or their pad and those those little lobes as you call them they got little you know a little crack in between each lobe they get uh, they get <clears throat> kind of smashed and flattened out as time goes on just from walking on all that rock and crusted snow and such so that that takes a beat and you can tell that by quite a bit especially if you have a lot of like clay or really good dirt for tracking kind of like a semi-moist dirt or bug dust bug dust around like water tanks you can judge them pretty well there because it it takes every little detail about that track and then you can look at them and say yeah them lobes are flattened out pretty bad on the heel of its pad yeah you might be an older line and then you walk him out some more and you find his track in another place that has pretty good track and dirt and you start mm-hmm. start assessing that and, and then you get a good feel for kind of how to age them we're not 100 percent on that but most of the time we're most of the time we're right on so yeah anybody that anything that makes a living on its feet it doesn't matter i mean i've seen horse hooves do the same thing you know horse hooves become bigger over over time you know just from the pressure and the frog and the pad and everything it just spreads out my feet my feet believe it or not and people if you live old and you know long enough even at 50 years old my feet started changing where boots that i've had for 
you know, worn the same size boots for 20, 20 some years of my life, 30 years of my life, all of a sudden the size doesn't fit anymore. And I'm, I'm upscaling a couple and my feet have actually changed. And, and I can only imagine that a, a lion or any wild animal out there with as much time as they spend on those feet, you know, you're going to have that, that physiological change for sure. Exactly. Yep. That's they're, they're going to change. They're not going to be staying the same. Just you take set, take some old timer, some old cowboy or some iron worker, or some concrete guy. Look at his hands when he's 18 years old. Yeah. Look at his hands when he's 60. Yeah. You know, when he's, when he's 60 years old, his hands are going to look like the, like they squeeze you in two. Right. Years and years of physical labor. Man, the if labor's he, built his hands up just no different than a line track or line lion's foot. If you look at my hands, you'll, you can tell right away that I was a career government employee. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. No. Uh, all right. We were talking about like how the difference you find the track and now you're moving through the, the, uh, brush and you were talking about the difference between where male lines walk and where female lines walk. And I kind of cut you off there because I wanted to go back to the, you know, the pad structure and measurements. So get go back to that part and and dive into that some for us, Cleve. Teach us uh, something. Into uh, how how a lion, uh, tom walks versus a female walks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That that tom when he's walking along, if you uh, if you notice the way he walks, he he kind of marches along like you know he he knows he's tough and there ain't a whole lot that's gonna whip him. Versus yeah. the female, she's she's a little more she's a little more reserved, you know. She's she might be a little more discreet about where she walks, and she's always always hunting cover. It seems every chance she gets, I think they the females in general just kind of like hunting tight cover. Versus that Tom, he don't care, you know. He he thinks he's the baddest thing on the mountain. Even if there's another one that can whip him, he's he's probably gonna think that he's the baddest thing out there. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of marches along and walks on the outside of them them trees and he's not going to really go underneath low hanging branches as often i'm not saying they don't at all he's kind of arrogant about it yeah yeah he's, yeah you know he's yeah he's he's got some testosterone in right. his blood I'm, I'm sure so yeah he's he's definitely gonna not be worried about something whipping him at the at the moment when he's just walking around nonchalant but that female she's gonna hunt tight cover and, and uh she's gonna take her time and that time he's just he just walked wherever he wants, mm-hmm. but that's, that's, that's a pretty good indication. If, if you can't see that track and your dogs are trailing it and you don't know whether you're trailing a Tom or a female, all you know is you got a lion track going because your old veteran dogs are really confident the way they're working it. And you look, you're watching them and you're like, man, they say it's a lion. I know it's not a gray fox or a bobcat or something else. I know it's a lion because they, they're trailing like a lion. Watch them and watch where them dogs trail and if they go in underneath them low-hanging branches that's, that's a good chance it's it's a lion and then then you can assess you know as a tom or a female seems like the females really like to hug that the trunk of that tree and there'll be like a couple branches that are about oh two feet off the ground mm-hmm. and then where that branch comes off the side of that tree if she hugs right up against that trunk right there and kind of ducks underneath that branch and slithers through there it's most likely female that's uh that's something we have to go by quite a bit because you don't 
you don't always get to see that track. All you know is it's a line because your old veteran dogs say it is, and you got to trust them. Yeah, you think about you think about all the things that a female lion has to do. You know, she's she may be hunting for kittens. She may be trying to protect her kittens. She may be, you know, trying to avoid uh, the tom lion for a lot of reasons, plus all the other th predators. So she's got a lot more on her mind than than a tom that's just slithering through the country looking for a, a ripe female or a mate and, and uh, you know, just out strutting around. Makes exactly. a lot of sense. Yep. Yeah, she's uh, she's probably in all reality in more of a self-preservation mode than he is on average. Yeah, because how know? many how many kills is she making a week for a litter of kittens? What do you think? It, yeah, it all depends. You know, I think I think if it's a deer, I think she's probably killing a deer every seven to ten days, seven days. With the, it, when it, she's got a litter. Oh, when she's got a litter, it's probably yeah. more like one one every four or five days. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's not always deer. I mean, we found where they kill coyotes, badgers, mm -hmm. you name it. You know, skunks, porcupines. They love porcupines and skunks too. So they she's basically, if she's if she's got kittens on the ground, then she's basically in hunt mode all the time. So she's going to be in the brush. She's going to be, and if she's not in hunt mode, then she's in security mode because she's trying to protect them. So yep. she's going she's going to be sticking to that cover. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a gem. That's a and. Most lion hunters would, you know, it's just a gym piece of knowledge for, for a guy that, that likes to lion hunt, but can't really call himself a lion hunter like me. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a, yeah, it's something good to know. You know, you, you might not use it today or tomorrow, but you're going to use it eventually. You know, yeah. this, there's going to be a time where you're going to say, man, I, I can't see that track. And then you start reading it and you're like, especially if you're in the guiding business we don't we don't want to kill female we want to go after a tom mm -hmm. and if especially if you know there's a tom there last thing you want to do is trail her and have the chance of spending the rest of the day you know trailing her when you could have been trying to figure out where that tom is so right but yeah yeah for anybody that's getting into it you know it's it's good to know that's it's something you want to always want to keep in your mind for sure Anything and, else about, yeah, go ahead, please. Oh, yeah. Another thing is if you do see that line track, it's, and you see the line track and you can't judge it well, maybe that line's only left a couple of toe prints here and there. And, and you see it here and there. If, if you can kind of follow it out a ways, eventually you're going to find it in some softer soil. If you can't see it real well in the rocky soil, look ahead and think, all right, where's the next little sand wash or, soft bank of dirt that that line was headed towards if he's headed north circle out to the north maybe 20 30 yards until you find some more soft dirt and then you can assess that track again sometimes it's it's kind of fruitless to keep trying to sort that track out in gravelly type rock when you can circle out and and high point it and figure out where that line went and then until you get into softer dirt and then then you can assess it sometimes that'll be a like when there's a lot of pine trees in an area, it'll be a area that's a sand wash because all, under all them pine trees, you might have nothing but pine needles and you're not going to be able to see a track in that. So you go to that sand wash, well, the rain washes and pine needles off the top of that sand and you can have soft sand there. So I like to do that if I'm hunting where there's a lot of pine trees, circle out to, to a sand wash and walk up that. You'll find that track most time.
mm-hmm. and then then you make sure you go in the right direction the right line you want <clears throat> and then you go from there uh, on another point if say if you got a line track and it's kind of melted out slightly melted out say if it's in the snow and uh, you can't really judge it real well or if it's in the dirt and it's kind of blown out and you can just see where the lion stepped keep in mind that a tom is going to have more of an offset track than a female and by that i mean his tracks aren't going to be so much in a straight line a female her tracks are going to be more in a straight line almost like she's trying to walk a tightrope more so <laughs> versus his are going to be much more offset especially a big tom because he's got bigger shoulders yeah, yeah, so his his tracks are going to be wider apart. Mm-hmm. I get, I'm I'm tracking what you're saying here. Yeah, versus a female, <clears throat> her tracks are going to be closer to being in a straight line and not as far apart. So if you all you can see is where that line track was and just you know just it's blown out from the <clears throat> the wind or maybe there's some patches of snow there and you can just see where that line track was and smelt it out. You can't judge it real well at that time. Keep in mind that a Tom's going to have more of a offset track and that'll, that'll get you some, get, get an idea of what that line is. Also. But the only, the only way you can, you can get that kind of experience though, Cleve is to do what you've done and what you and your brother have done over the years. And that's catch a lot of lions, because if I just see a lion track headed down the road and I have no reference on that, if I haven't got several lines behind me, you know, I, I'm going to struggle to be able to put that in perspective as to whether it's wide or it's narrow, you know, just based on on my limited experience of judging tracks like that. So um, any other pointers on that? Yeah, that's that's about it. Another but another point to take into consideration is on that same point, if you're trying to judge whether a line's lining out or if he's hanging out there, you can go by the stride. And that's why we don't always go by the stride on judging the size of that lion, because a lion that is traveling is going to have a lot longer stride than a lion that's hunting or just moseying around, just kind of mm-hmm. taking his time nonchalant. He's not worried about getting anywhere, anywhere fast. You know, he's going to have a shorter stride. We've seen some big old giant toms that were just, stepping short and pussyfooting long and and you think man we almost acts like he's tired and they're just kind of taking their time you know and, but if he's if he's got something on his mind he's, he's out enjoying to, his walk he's just yeah. out on a walk yeah just yeah he's doing whatever he wants he yeah. and most time it seems like that's when they do that that's when they got a full belly yeah but but if he's got an empty stomach he's I don't know if there's a nervousness that kicks in and forces him to hunt hard. And he's like, man, I got to get out there and find a deer. I got to find a horse to kill. Right. He's going to be beating feet from one end of the mountain range to the other or from deer herd to deer herd. And when he does that, that's what we call lining out. And mm-hmm. when they line out, they stride out. A female does the same thing. But uh, when they stride out, they, they, they're stepping a long ways in between each track. So that's why we don't, we don't really rely on, on the stride. We hardly ever looked at that stride really, because I don't know what's on that line's mind at that time. It's, it's up to him. So a female on that same point, an old dry female, we've noticed them old dry females that are, you know, they're, they're ancient old gals, you know, they probably mm-hmm. don't have any kittens. They'll oftentimes line out just like a Tom. They'll have a long stride. She might only be 80 pounds, but man, she strides out like a big old Tom. 
and she don't have a big track, you know, she got a little old track, skinny old thing. And, uh, man, sometimes they'll stride out and they can be hard to catch up to versus a female that's in her prime. And she might have a couple kittens someplace. She's typically don't stride out as far and travel as far, but some of them old females, man, they'll, you'll trail them eight or 10 miles, 12 miles. And I still not jump them because they just got something on their mind. They want to go to another part of the mountain range, another deer herds up there that they know about. And typically that is typically that typically happens when them lines to get to the base of a mountain range and getting them little foothills right at the base of a mountain range. And uh, then they can line out these mountain ranges out here predominantly run North and South. So they'll hit on the East side or the West side. And then, then they go either North or South. Yeah. And when they, hit, when they hit them, them little foothills, they can really line out and that can be hard to trail too. It seems like they, they, they can just be hard to trail at that, at that point. So what we're seeing, what I'm hearing, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to draw this all together in my mind, Cleve, and put a mental image together of what you're seeing when you're determining that you're on an old, you know, dry female pasture breeding prime. You're seeing a track that is is smaller in size, probably more narrow than a tom track. The tracks are going to be more in a, a line closer together because she's not moving those massive shoulders and big bone structure. So it's going to be more in line and it's going to be stride striding out good like you're talking about. Is that is that pretty accurate description of am I putting those pieces of the puzzle together right to say, yeah, I'm I can see the track laying through the sand wash and I see how it's moving. I can evaluate the size of the track and the the width of the you know the the width of the stride and the way she's moving and and that's how you're determining what you're what you're on at that point yeah 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 you, you can just kind of judge it and if if it that that track's not offset very much you know it's almost like she's trying to walk a tightrope or something yeah she's probably <clears throat> she's probably lining out and striding out and gotcha oh and tom's will do that his stride's going to be <clears throat> more offset if he's just pussyfooting along and nonchalant but once he decides he wants to stride out and walk out and cover some country his tracks will be more in line also mm-hmm. if that makes sense he'll do the same thing just not to the same extent as hers because she hers is going to be almost like she's trying to walk a tight rope and and it'll be pretty distinct but <clears throat> yeah it's uh yeah just something you notice over the years and then you kind of get a feel for what that line is going to do and say oh you know, he's, he's lining out at the bottom of this mountain range, right at the edge of the valley. And he's been lining out for the last two miles. Most likely he's not going to stop until he gets to some water or until he gets to, to where there's a mule deer herd or a group of wild horses. And sometimes that could be both that the deer horses might be at that water. So just sometimes if that's what he's doing and, and you caught a lot of lions in there before and you think, okay, I've, I, I think I know where he's going. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Sometimes you can load up and head around and cut him off and hit his track right where you thought, you know, he's going to come through a certain saddle that they all use. And then right before you get to that, that spot where you think he's going to, he's going to cross, you can kick dogs out and let them, let them hunt that real, real thorough. And then you go from there. If they strike a track, then you got a good idea what, what direction he's going even even then, if they strike a track, you still want to make sure that you're going the right direction. You don't want to be trailing backwards. Yeah. So if you can keep from it. So, but yeah, that's that's something good to think about. You don't always you don't always have them right there. Sometimes they 
go 10 or 12 miles. I trailed one oh, a few years back. I trailed him near the probably, a, I'm guessing, by a day and a half old track, and I trailed him 19 and a half miles, and I never caught up to him. And I got my dogs at 11 o'clock that night. I left my client in the truck because he wasn't in very good shape to hike up in there. I knew I wasn't going to catch the lion. I hiked up in there and caught my dogs and went after him the next day. Just a couple of days later, we trailed him seven miles. Day after yeah. that, we trailed him nine miles. Still never caught up to him. He's big. He's quite large. You know, big old heavy Tom, big old fat toes. So I'm guessing he's he'd been around the block time and he just think just liked to wander. So yeah. So let me th- let me let me kind of shift gears here a little bit and yeah. um, as you're talking, there are so many things that are going through my head. I mean, I'm I've put myself in the truck you know, the passenger seat there with you. And I'm, I'm trying to pick your brain here and put all this together. And it's fascinating. I mean, it really is. I, I, this is the part of, of hunting that, that I really enjoy. I like, I like learning from, like, if I go to a new area, learning how houndsmen in that area do things. And, and, you know, I, I like to see houndsmen that, that, and, and hunt with houndsmen that are, it's just effortless for them. You know, they, they've been there, they've done that, they've done that, you know, and they, they know what's going on, but okay. So you've drug a road and now you've, you've gone back there two or three days later and boom, you've got a track. Is there anything specific with that track that helps you uh, decide whether it's a day and a half old or it's three days old, you know, you just, is there anything in that track right there? You know, you're around a stock tank and you're in the bug dust. Like you talk about, you know, let's get, look at that track and hear how an experienced lion hunter judges whether this is worth me putting dogs down on, or yeah, this is a, this track is pretty fresh and we can catch it. We got a good chance of catching it. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, what we like to look at is how how the sun is beating that track and how the wind is swept on it. If it's in bug dust or sand, that the wind out here blows like the sun of a gun out here in Nevada, and the sun is really intense. So that sun's going to beat down on it. <clears throat> and if there's moisture, if there's subsurface moisture in that track, say it's kind of kind of like dry cookie dough type of dirt. So you just had a rainstorm a couple of days before or a day or so before and, and there's some moisture. Maybe there's a rainstorm last week and that put some really good moisture in there. That ground is kind of going to set up with a little bit of subsurface moisture in there. Mm-hmm. And that line steps down. You're going to see some of that moisture in the bottom part of his track and all the way up towards the surface, maybe a quarter inch from the top. Um, if you look at that track and the edges are kind of starting to curl up and dry on the very top of that track. It might've been there for a day or two, especially if there's a lot of wind. So you kind of got to take into consideration how much wind you've had. If it's been cloudy days or sunny days, how sun beaten that track is, we take that into consideration. So you kind of just, you get a, get a feel for, for how to, for how to judge them. But uh, it seems like when that track starts to dry out that, the top part of that track at the very top of the rim, as you would call it, will dry out first. And it almost, if it's, there's much moisture in that dirt, it'll start to get tiny little crust on the edge of that rim of that track. 
and that's something to go by. And if there's a lot of crust on there and, you know, you haven't had a whole lot of wind, he might've been through there three or four days ago. Mm -hmm. Another point is if you're, if you cut a line track in bug dust, as we call it, it's kind of like baby powder, you know, a lot of traffic and say, especially in the fall when these mountain ranges are just hammered with side by sides and you'll have, you have a lot of bug dust, especially like right in the corner of a road, right in like in the turn of a road, man, you have a lot of bug dust. You can look at that line track and that bug dust and you can see how much windswept dirt's flown in, blown into that track. Or if, if there's insects that's gone across it, maybe you know, beetles or ants or, or if there's mice that have cro crossed it. And then you see little mouse tracks in there and you think, OK, there's quite a few mouse tracks across that. There's, that might be a couple of days old, but if there's no track, mouse tracks or insect tracks crossing that, that bug dust, that track in the bug dust, it might not be night old. And then you walk it out a bit and see it again. You don't always see it just in one spot. It's best to walk up the road and see if that want line walked up the road and find it again. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. But uh, same goes for finding a lion track by a spring or an area that's got a lot of uh, cattle in there, a lot of cows, a lot of range cows mm -hmm. or wild horses. If they're coming into that dirt tank, as we call it, or stock pond, maybe it's just a metal tank. They come in there. There's a lot of consolidated tracks there. And then wild horses and them cows are beating the heck out of that dirt. It's turning into bug dust. And that line track comes in there. If you see that line track and there's it's on top of cow tracks, there's a good chance it was last night. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's early in the morning, because those cows won't water till later in the day. If that makes sense, maybe you know, eight or nine o'clock. So if it's daylight and you cut that track right then, there's no there's no not many mouse tracks crossing it or insect tracks crossing it, and it's not stomped out by wild horses or cattle or anything like that there's a good chance it was made last night same goes for if you're if you're after a lion and you know that he should have crossed this canyon you think okay he's going to cross say pine creek and there's a lot of a lot of wild horses in pine creek and they just beat the hell out of it going back and forth because there might be water at the top but you don't think that lion's going to go to the water he should cross down low because that's where he was over in say over in clear creek and he's mm -hmm. headed towards pine creek if you think he's supposed to cross there and there are a lot of wild horse and cattle tracks and you don't cut him, what I like to do if I got a client, especially I'll have that client drop me off at the top of the canyon in my pickup and I'll walk down the on the edge of that, out on them trails. And I'll say, just kind of parallel me and I'll walk out there 40 or 50 yards from the road and I'll find that track on some of those intersecting trails that are coming into that 
to that road because if that lion walks up that road and then 15 or 20 head of horses come through and then another five or six pair of cows or half a dozen head of cows or something come through they're going to knock that track out and you might miss it same goes for elk especially in like uh in the winter time these elk will consolidate in some of these areas and and that mountain line will go through there well if there's a little bit of moisture in that dirt that where the milk came through they'll stomp it into mud and that lion can walk on top of that on top of that mud you know he's just walking along but he's not going to make an indention into that mud that's been stomped in by elk and you know there's a lot of moisture in there but you get off that road and get off in the brush you're not going to have as many elk tracks and you might be able to find that lion track and say okay he did come through i missed him because i couldn't see a track that that mud's frozen like concrete right but off that road you might find his track over on a dry hillside and his his foot did make an indention in that in that softer dirt that's not frozen because it's on the south facing hillside so if that's the case it's best to go to the to where there's softer dirt and just hunt it up and say okay there's some good dirt over there let's go hunt that up look for that line track and you'll typically find him there and uh, you would have missed him if you just thought, well, yeah, I didn't see his track. Well, you're not going to see that track in that concrete, hard type mud. But uh, same goes for snow. Sometimes you'll have deer or elk or wild horses or, you know, domestic livestock that are hanging out in a canyon. There might be water there, just might be just good grass and good feed there. If they're going up and down that canyon all the time and there's a fresh snow, say three or four days ago, them once them horses or cattle or whatever disturb that snow, it sets up hard. Mm-hmm. It might be good if it's virgin snow, not you know, not a whole lot of tracks on it. It's pretty clean snow. But once livestock or other game animals come through there and and gets trashy as we call it, they disturb that snow and that snow sets up and crusts hard and that lion can walk on top of that more so. And he can yeah. sometimes sometimes he'll just step inside them cow tracks or elk tracks just he's not thinking about it he just it's the easiest place to step and you'll miss him so it's if that's the case it's best to circle out on the side if you think that he came through there and you shouldn't have missed him you know it's like yeah i think he came through here almost certain of it make a circle out there maybe you might walk up and down that canyon half a mile and you'll find him i can so. trash pretty bad when i'm looking for lion tracks i'm real trashy when it comes to looking for lion tracks I'll I'll see I, when I think I should be seeing them, man. All of a sudden, every elk track, and I'm double taken, and it's always cool to ride with somebody. And I I remember the first time that that I ever lion hunted was in the Bitterroot, and I was with Mike Ritchie. Uh, Michael has been on our show, but it's his dad, Mike. Uh, we're we're running these roads and stuff, and I'm just I'm trashy. What's that? What? what and he's like that's a moose track that's a cow track that's a deer track and then as soon as we got to you know we're running through elk tracks and by this time he's got my tone broke you know and i'm 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 not calling things out and he's like there's a lion track i'm like where you know all of a sudden it, it's just so yeah i i understand what you i can relate to that topic and i tell guys all the time when i'm hunting with them i said i'll probably trash on some on some off tracks here for a while yeah oh yeah yeah i get quite a few guys that come out online and you know they, they've never been they've never seen a line track in their life we'll go up the road and you know i'm just looking at tracks 
is that a guy? Is that a lion? I said, no, it's a coyote. Are you sure? Go, go, go back, go back, back up. I'm yeah. like, no, oh, yeah. no, Bob, it's not. It's yeah, not. Exactly. You know, I'm like, well, I've caught a few, I guess. I know what a lion track looks like. Are you oh, sure yeah. it's not a lion? It's like, yep. Yep. I've been that same guy. I have been, I've been sitting there and it's like, I know that was a lion track. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. Well, back up. Let me look at it. And it's not, some of it is you've got to prove to me that it wasn't, but also, I knew that was going to happen. Ah. We got a little technical difficulty here, but uh, a lot of times, Cleve, it'll be, uh, it'll just be a thing where I want to learn. You know, I want to understand and see it and, and understand what you're seeing and see it for myself. So hang on a second. I got to set something up here. I finished my thought on the fly. All right. Let me, let me mute this for just a second. Go ahead with your next point while I'm, while I'm, uh, fixing this up Cleve. oh gotcha okay yes yeah, so oftentimes if you're if you're following a, a tom and and you're following tom and you're trying to decide whether he's a big tom or a small tom or they an older tom or a younger tom them old big heavy toms are typically make a bigger scratch and they're they're really good at making that scratch they make it real kind of kind of a pretty looking scratch real nice and neat and kind of look at it and you think man you can tell he's made thousands of those you know and uh versus a, a smaller younger tom that's hasn't made as many his honor is going to be as deep not as wide and, and uh maybe not quite as many but there's something about a big tom he's he makes a dominant looking scratch versus a, a younger tom and uh so that's something else we look at if, if there's two toms in an area and, and you just keep seeing a scratch and you can't find his track and them dogs are trailing along and you find where those dogs trailed underneath a tree where there's some scratches. If that's a big, heavy scratch, big, deep scratch, and again, just has a presence about it, there's there's a good chance that's that's your big tom. And you might be on the right tom you're wanting on if you didn't want trails with smaller tom. And smaller toms, they kind of, I don't know, it's just, it just doesn't look as big, of course, you know, not as big of a line, but they're they're not as good at making them either, it seems. But uh, another point, going back to uh, finding them line tracks by like a spring or where there's a bunch of livestock, if you hit a line track and you cut it right there in that bug dust and you put them dogs on that line track in that bug dust, sometimes them dogs won't be able to trail it in that bug dust. They go to smell that track and they suck up all that dust in their nose. That doesn't help them any with their olfactory sensors. So they, you might be able to see the track plain as day and you say man what what's wrong with these dogs they can't they can't trail it what you're going to want to do at that point is circle out figure out what direction that lion track was going when he left that water and make a big circle maybe 40 50 yards out until you hit that track again and then call your dogs to it to where they can smell it and then they can smell it a little better especially when it goes to the brush but if 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 you cut that track and that line's walking through that powder like that baby powder looking bug dust oftentimes they can't trail it it's going to be really hard so you yeah. got to get away from that bug dust and get up on the hillside where there's brush and rocks and that rock surprisingly enough holds really well holds scent real well and it's not the gravel rock that holds scent. it's the that's the bigger rocks the uh, size of a dinner plate or or size of a volkswagen or something that line gets up on that on that stuff and it, it holds scent real well and sometimes you'll you'll see that track and they won't be able to trail 
that track in the dirt sometimes, but they'll start hitting that brush. And a lot of the time those dogs will even lick the brush. So they'll, they'll wrap their tongue around it and lick it and go to the next bush and taste it and taste the next one until they start moving that track. You know, so, one of the things that I, I, I included in the podcast I did, the episode I did about scent is that the, uh, there's an organ that every hound, every dog has in its mouth that actually helps him taste scent. You know, it lays in the, in the top of their, the roof of their mouth. It's called the Jacobson's organ. And it actually allows them to taste that scent. And, and we do it too, uh, to some extent, not to the, not to the extent that a dog can, but we have that as well. So, you know, if you walk into a room and your mom's cooking, some of it's based on memory. You smell the meatloaf or, or the roast cooking and automatically you start thinking about how that tastes, you know, and it helps us determine what we're actually smelling and, and dogs can do that at a, a rate that's huge. And, you know, just an observation from, you know, the way you said the rocks will hold scent. If we break scent down and we look at it from the standpoint that it's a microscopic organism that's come off of a living animal you know when it falls on top of the rock then the sun's going to dry it out and it's going to dehydrate and it's not going to be as readily available but if it's just in a small crack or a crevice it's in the shade where the sun can hit it and it can retain some of that moisture then it's going to be available to that that hound's nose so you know brushy areas where there's more shade um and it's, it's fallen on, you know, just under the edge of a rock, the size of a dinner plate, you know, where it's, it's banked and, and collected right there. The hounds are going to be able to smell it where in that bug dust, they're not going to be able to. Yeah, exactly. And, and I don't know if it's <clears throat> sometimes it's just that powder just gets up in there, that powdery dirt gets up in there and kind of, you know, kind of clouds their nose. I don't know how that works, but seems like, get back on that rock and they can they can smell it well especially it's, this lime, limestone we got some limestone out here it almost had little tiny pricks on it like little yeah. tiny little ridges on it man they get up on that they can trail really well but if you get onto some of this granite we got some mountain ranges out here that are pretty much all granite and it's like real crumbly type of rock it's like just constantly crumbling mm-hmm. they can't trail quite as good in that but that limestone man that limestone holds the scent really well yeah. So, uh, and I'll just interject this part, you know, yeah. not, not trying to come at it from a, from a, you know, a seasoned lion hunter standpoint, cause I'm not definitely not dry ground, but scent is, so when that scent leaves the, the body, it still has some moisture in it. So when it falls in that bug dust, all that dust is sucking the moisture out of that. I, it, you know, without a doubt, when a dog, takes in a big nose full of bug dust he's not going to be able to smell as well but the scent isn't going to be able to survive there either just because of the conditions that it falls in if it can get someplace if it is it banks in places where the sun isn't going to dehydrate it you don't have the bug dust falling out of it uh, um, or pulling pulling the moisture out of it and like you say the limestone that's a great observation is you know, the, the surface of that limestone is catching that scent and holding it in places, whereas a smoother rock or something like that, it's just going to blow it right off. But 
those molecules are so microscopic that we can't see them. And there's thousands of them coming off of them. It's just like uh, if you take flour and you put it on a slick surface and then you blow on it, you'll blow it off. But take flour and set it on that surface on top of a, you know, fine grit sandpaper and try to blow it off. You're still going to have flour on the sandpaper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not not all of it's going away. Right. They're, right. You're always going to have some of it right there. Exactly. Yep. yep. And that's and I mean, you think you can. So if we think about the scent that the animals leaving behind, you know, we can see the flower on there, but scent, those scent molecules are even more microscopic than those granules of flour that we're trying to compare it with. But it gives us a good visual of what's actually happening, you know, with, with scent gives us something we can see and relate to at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It makes sense. I never thought of it quite like that, but that's a good analogy. Um, now on another point, uh, you know, you, you might be trailing a lion and you can't see that track real well, but you know, them dogs are on that lion track and they'll trail through, trail through some heavy sagebrush. I'm talking about sagebrush, maybe, you know, four or five feet tall, five, six feet tall mm -hmm. and really mature sagebrush. <clears throat> that can be hard to trail through. It's like when that sagebrush falls on them little sagebrush petals fall off that brush and fall onto the ground. <clears throat> Some of it's still fresh sagebrush. It almost like it masks that scent and your dogs can have be you know, having a hard time. But once they get out of that sagebrush and they get into other kinds of brush, say buckbrush, bitterbrush, snowberry, manzanita, mountain mahogany, something like that, more of like a green, green, lively leaf on it. Yeah. Them dogs them dogs can trail off that brush better than they could off sagebrush. Sagebrush is really hard to trail in, but those other, other four kinds of brush, they're more of a green type of leaf, man, they can trail pretty good through that. And it must hold the scent better because them dogs will lick that, lick that brush and taste it mm -hmm. and put their nose back on the ground and go to cold trailing. And then they might miss, miss a couple spots and they can't smell it on the dirt anymore or in the gravel. And they go back to sniffing the brush where that lion brushed up against that them them leaves on that on that brush and they can they can get through on that oftentimes and that's quite a bit of difference between that that type of brush and sagebrush yeah when when brett vaughn was on with us uh in the early days you know, he talked about trying to trail through the greasewood yeah that's you hard. know down there in southern new mexico and you have that I, it's got to be oils it's i think you're nailing it cleave i mean it's just we can smell sage, you mm -hmm. know, with our little weak puny noses, you know, when we start, when we start walking through a sage patch, you may not smell it until you start disturbing it. But man, once you start disturbing it, it, it just, that's all you smell. So there's gotta be something to that. Cause the dog's really smelling that, you know, at 50 times greater than what we can. Yeah. 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 They got such, such a better scent. Yeah. Ability. Yeah, same same goes for alkali. If you're you're trailing a line and you get into an alkali flat, or some of these springs out here have have a fair amount of alkali around them, mm -hmm. that alkali doesn't do you any favors either. It's it's like you get into an alkali or a salt flat, and alkali is pretty similar type of kind of like a type of salt. Them dogs mm -hmm. can have a hard time trailing a line track through that alkali, and oftentimes it's it's next to nothing, and you'll make a circle out ahead and and find that track again and 
and call them dogs to you and get them back on that track and let them strike on it and let them move it along. But that alkali can be a, a pain. It can yeah. be tough. Again, again, that's, you know, what does salt do when we put it on something? Yeah. It dries it out. Yep. You know, so as that scent falls on that alkali ground and that salt rich surface, you know, it's drawing the moisture out of that, that, and it's, I mean, we see it when we salt a hide or, you know, any of that stuff. We use it because it draws the moisture out. That's why we use it in meat preservation because it draws the moisture out. Same thing with that scent. When it falls on that, that high alkali surface, you know, it's, it's dehydrating. It's, it's pulling it out. Exactly. It's a di- diuretic. You know, that's, that was the term I was looking for. But basically what I'm saying is salt dries stuff out at a fast rate. And, and now it's not available to a hound's nose. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Just like here recently, it's been so dry. It's it's not exactly easy to trail lines right now. But we just got a rainstorm last night and we're supposed Good. to get another one tomorrow and maybe the next day. So you guys have been then, doing rain dances. Oh yeah, we've been trying. Yeah. Most time it's just we've just been getting enough to tease us, but um here in northern Nevada, southern Nevada's been getting a fair amount. They've been getting a lot of flooding right now, flash right. floods. But uh but up here it's been pretty dry so if it keeps this up for throughout the weekend on and off next week's going to be a pretty good time to go lion hunting that there'll be a little bit of subsurface moisture and in that dirt but here lately i've been trailing a few lines here and there and it's it's tough because you're pretty much just trailing in bug dust and really really dry dirt and like you said it it doesn't hold hold that scent because it doesn't hold moisture well yeah but yeah. just same goes for if you're trailing a lion. Sometimes you can't trail them very well in the sunlight, and then you hit the north face and slope, and they can move them along pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's more moisture in that dirt, and it's cooler. It's going to hold the scent a little better. And the dogs, for whatever, maybe a couple hundred yards, they might be a little bit cooler too, but mainly it's, you know, it's, it's going to hold that scent better. Right, right. I'll tell you, even having conversations like this and talking about this, and understanding even what what you're going through out there in Nevada, Cleve helps helps even a houndsman like me. Like I hunted last night, and I noticed around the cornfields and things back here. Yes, we've had a lot of rain, but our our ground's a little bit different. It's still dry on top, so you're taking something like a raccoon and running through cornfields and things like that. You got all the pollen from the corn that's pollinating right now. It's settling on the ground on top of, of that dust. Uh, it, it can make for very difficult tracking conditions. And when you understand, when you can start putting these pieces of the puzzle together and having conversations like this, I think it's houndsman. We have to understand what's going on and what that dog is trying to tell us and why he's struggling in different situations. And when we can start putting those pieces together it makes us better hunters it makes us better houndsmen and and helps us catch more game is what we're really out there for yeah exactly yeah like something if think about it is you might be out there hunting lions today and you have something that you learn you might not learn you you might might have learned it today you might not use it today it might not help you catch the line you're after today but it's probably going to help you catch the line you're after next week or next month, or next year, somewhere down the line, you're going to use that. And uh, yeah, kind of like you're saying, you know, you, the more you learn, the more you know, the better off you are. Uh, when I when I hear you talk about this stuff, Cleve, I can't help but 
repeat what we've said before that that houndsmen uh, we get a lot of heat for you know chasing game with hounds and and even from other hunting groups saying that it's not real hunting but when you take all the things into consideration that you just talked about you're talking about reading terrain you're talking about knowing that i mean you you rattled off half a dozen species of brush uh talking about you know where the water tanks are in your country about knowing the difference between granite and limestone there are so many technical aspects that the houndsmen have to know that totally debunks the theory that that somehow using a hound gives us an unfair advantage we your knowledge base is evident that we have to be on top of the game if we're going to be successful there's there's no shortcuts to hunting you ha- if i brought hounds out there and and just tried to catch lions just not knowing the country where the tanks are um you know where game commonly moves not knowing the different types of brush i'd be at a huge disadvantage there's no way but to catch a lion but i i would i'll bet you i could kill a deer i'm just going to put it out there i bet i could go out there and sit on a rock face and spot and watch and glass and put a stalk on on a mule deer and kill a mule deer yeah. much easier than i could come out bring hounds all the way out there and then try to catch a lion in your country yeah probably so yeah yep because and you I, could take you could take what you've learned from whitetail hunting and apply some of that to mule deer hunting and get a deer killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, that's I'm not trying to bash on deer hunters. That's not my point. But I am tired of people trying to put this tag on us that using hounds gives us an unfair advantage. If anything, it gives us a disadvantage uh, because we've we've added another element to the hunt that that we have to have to control or have to live i don't think we can control it other than through training but we have to learn to manage we have to manage learn to manage that hound as well as as everything else that we're trying to do yeah exactly you're when you're hound hunting you're not exactly stealthy you know you're calling dogs in and you got dogs you got seven or eight or five or six dogs running around you know you're not exactly stealthy at the same time Right. Granted, granted, that being said, it'd be be hard to catch kill lions consistently without hounds. Mm-hmm. But but there are challenges to it. You got to be able to keep them dogs from chasing something you don't want them to. Do yeah. you think? Do you think it would be easier to come out to your country and spot and stalk a mountain lion, um, uh, spot it, and then and then you know, then bringing hounds out and hunting with hounds and trying to catch a lion. That'd be harder. I know that I know there's guys that spot them, you know, a fair amount. A mm-hmm. lot of big game, big game guides spot a fair amount, but uh, I, the most consistent way is with hounds. Mm-hmm. But uh, but there's a lot, as, as all houndsmen know, there's a lot of work entailed into training dogs. You know, a lot of people have the misconception that we're all just a bunch of barbaric, bloodthirsty rednecks that don't know, <laughs> how, to, don't know how to tie our shoes, but a lot of them a lot of hot houndsmen out there are pretty smart people but yeah that that being said i i wear pull-on boots so 
<laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> uh, well, you said something that that I think was very perceptive is that what you learned today may not help you um, catch the line you're you're on today. I think a lot of times we learn stuff and we don't even realize we're learning, you know, and we've talked about on this podcast before about slowing down about, you know, uh, reflecting on, on your experiences and things like that. And, and that's where real learning comes into play is when you go back and you replay it in your mind and you think about the things you saw. And that's really what set has set, you and your brother Monty apart is that you guys have journaled this sort of stuff for years and kept, kept notes. Yeah. It makes a difference because there's a lot of stuff that you'd forget about if you didn't write it down. And I, you know, I've thought about, man, if I would have written, written more of it down, I'd probably be better off. And sometimes a guy learns stuff subconsciously. He doesn't, mm-hmm. like you said, he doesn't realize he's learning that. But, you know, further down the line someplace, you're, you're going to reach in there and grab it, or it's going to come come to the surface and say, oh, crap, I had this happen one time. Let, let me try this. And you you try it out, and it works, you know, it happens to work. And then after you, you've used it and you know it works, a couple times then then it's ingrained into your mind it's burned into your into your brain and and you use it on a regular basis at that point you know yeah and that's what's cool about and that's why i i really enjoy producing this podcast is because having these conversations helps other people understand what's going on now they have something that they can look back on and say Oh man, I remember when Cleve talked about this on that episode of the Houndsman XP podcast. Maybe that's what's going on here. And they start putting pieces of the puzzle together and and connecting some dots and helps them be better houndsmen, better hunters, and catch more game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, you always learn someone something from someone, you know. And that's why they carol. Good old lion hunter, friend of ours. He always claimed that you can always learn something from someone. And uh, he has a story in his in his book. He was talking about how he'd he'd had a mountain lion caught live, and he had it tied up with rope. And he stopped into a bar to have a drink, and <coughs> this this old wino, as he calls him, kind of an old drunk, was yeah. sitting there, and they're talking. The guy says, "Yeah," he said. Back this drunk is telling him this. He says, "Back in the day, I was working in a logging camp, and one of the loggers was a lion hunter. And he came in and had a mountain lion handcuffed and threw it on the floor." of the bunkhouse in that logging camp and he pretty much scattered the whole, the whole camp. Everybody jumped out of that, that bunkhouse quick. And he says, he says, really, he says, yeah, he had, he had that mountain lion handcuffed. And while they Carroll says from that point on, he said, I use handcuffs to, to catch those, to secure those lines when he'd catch one live and sell it to a zoo. Cause back in the day you could do that, you know? Yeah. And uh, he said, from that point on, he used handcuffs, you know? And a lot safer. He says you could always learn something from someone, even from an old wino. So, yeah. Have you ever? I'd like to watch him take the handcuffs off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, yeah. Had, I've had some drunks in handcuffs before that, that getting them on was a lot easier than taking them off. I've never had them on. So, hopefully, yeah. I never do. 
Yeah, I hope you don't ever have one either, Cleve. Yeah. Anything else we need to put in this episode, man? It's been it has been. Uh, uh, anything else you need to throw in there? It's been extremely helpful. Good yeah, conversation. One, yeah, thanks. Um, one more point I was going to bring up is that this will help you find a line track if you're trying to sort one out. If you if you're looking for a line track and you miss and you can't find that line track and it's really t- hard to see it. If you face towards the sun, yeah, that creates a shadowing in that track. That track might only be an eighth of an inch deep. But if you kind of, when you're looking for that track, kind of face towards the sun and that you'll be able to see that shadowing of that track, that that track will cast a tiny bit of shadow and you can see that better than if you had the sun at your back. Right. Not only, and a lot of people don't think about that, but it makes a world of difference. And, uh, you know, a lot of people here and they get done listening to this podcast, go try it out, go out and step, step out in some dirt where it's not very deep. Maybe your foot, your footprint or take your fist and push it down into some dirt, maybe a quarter inch, keep the sun at your back and then go around the other side and face the sun. When you face the sun and kind of look at an angle, like maybe a 40 degree angle towards that track or Mm -hmm. maybe an 80 degree angle at that track, you'll be able to see that track a lot better than if, if the sun was at your back, but that does something else. If you have, so we got to carry, we got to carry a protractor now too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I know there's people say, ah, if you're looking for a track, you can't keep the, you can't be looking at the sun all the time. No, you can't. But if, if it's a luxury to you that you can kind of, in that situation, if you can kind of face towards the sun, it'll make a lot easier. Well, it makes a lot of sense. If I'm, if I'm driving across, you know, say I'm driving across the South slope, you know, the, of the mountain, the sun's going to be out of the, if I'm driving, let me, let me lay this out. If I'm driving east on the south, south facing slope, then the, I'm going to be able to see tracks out of the driver's side easier than I'm going to be able to see them out of the passenger side, just because of the angle of the sun, especially in the winter time. Yeah. Yeah. That exactly. man, that, yeah, that's a, that's a something that's right there that we all should know we live with the sun every day. We live in this world every day, but, but being able to capture that from somebody that's put those pieces of the puzzle together is, is fascinating to me. Yeah. yeah the, the same thing can go for if, if you're looking for a track in the dark, you mm-hmm. know, hold that flashlight on the other, say, if you're just trying, you see the track and you've seen it just a second ago, hold that track, that flashlight on the other side of the track opposite of you, keep the track between you and the sun or you and the light, the flashlight. And that'll help you a little bit. That's a lot easier. But at that same point, if you have the sun at your back, your, your body casts a shadow, that shadow is constantly moving mm-hmm. and that's, that is distracting to your eye. So subconsciously your eye is attracted to that shadow and not all of your attention or of your eye, I guess, if you will, not all of your eyes attention is on the track where it needs to be. It keeps, it's drawn and distracted to your own shadow and that can be distracting. So, I mean, it's, it's not always easy to do that, but if, if you, if you have the opportunity to kind of try to keep that track between you and the sun, it'll help you sort of track out a lot better. That, yeah, that is really perceptive. Um, our eyes are more attracted just like animals, you know, uh, animals are attracted to movement. So when we add movement, like our shadow to the, to the sight picture that we're trying to 
get here, you know, even we don't want, even when we don't want it to subconsciously, our eye is automatically attracted to that movement. What, what was that? What was that? And, and it's taken away from, from what we're doing. And as far as the light and, and nighttime stuff, you know, I've, I've done that same thing while coon hunting, you know, you see a track and when you look right at it, you're the light, of course, we're wearing headlights falls on the track. And it's like, that looks like a bobcat track and subconsciously without ever us ever discussing this, I've taken the light off and put it down at an angle so that I can see it better, you know, a different angle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It'll help you out. And <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's not always easy. That's like when we're dragging roads, I fold my mirror in because that mirror casts a shadow onto that, onto the ground when I'm dragging roads. And I go back like a couple days later to look for that, for that line track crossing that drag mark. Yeah. I fold my mirror in because my mirror on my truck sticks out a ways and there's always that shadow there. And, and it's a, it's distracting. So I fold mm -hmm. that mirror in and, and it, it helps a lot. Cause then you can, your eye can just focus on looking for a line track. And sometimes you're not looking for a full track. Sometimes you're looking for part of a pad and one toe. Yeah. So the least, the least amount of distractions as possible, the better. So kind of try to keep it to a minimum if you can. So. Yeah. And if your mirror's folded out, you're, you're, you know, the hounds on the rig are constantly catching your attention and, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so again subconsciously you're taken away from wait man these are some pearls of wisdom i'm telling you cleve these really are i'm not i'm not blowing smoke here this is all kind of the kind of stuff that that i like talking about the finer points you know um the finer points it's like getting into the the master level of trying to figure this out you know i can nail two two by fours together but a carpenter can can take it and and make it look like something when they're all you know when they're done putting wood together yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 there's something a guy learns over time and sometimes he learns it from other people and sometimes you learn something from someone else and then you you take that and modify it to fit your style of hunting you might not do it exactly the same way he did but modify it and cannibalize some of the stuff he he's taught you or you've learned from someone else and kind of just get it to where it works for you. Same thing yeah. with dogs, you know, like, like the dogs we have work for us, you know, and a lot, a lot of guys look at like them beagle crosses as they kind of look at it like taboo, but they're such amazing trail dogs. They're cold nose and they have a lot of heart. I don't, I don't think I'd ever want to cross anything in into them other than beagle, you know? but it's, it's something you, you kind of start using and if it works for you, keep with it. So on another point, I meant to um, bring up on, on dragon roads. If you're going to drag roads, it's better to use juniper or, uh, or cedar trees than pinion trees. Pinion trees are soft and they don't last long. Mm -hmm. They <clears throat> a couple miles and they, they start falling apart, but I like uh, jun juniper trees and cedar trees. They hold up a little bit better. And then when you chain off, <clears throat> chain that, tie that chain or the rope to that trunk. I like to go about a, oh, a quarter or a third of the way, about a quarter or a third of the way up that trunk from the bottom. If you go too close to the bottom, sometimes it'll dig that, dig that trunk into the, into the dirt too much and it mm -hmm. don't drag quite as well. But, uh, but yeah, it'll get to dancing around and that's, that's a good way to find line tracks and 
that's it's easy to an extent you can drag a lot of roads with a pickup truck and then come back and and uh find lines that that uh, you normally would have missed on that gravel type rock yeah yeah i think if we kept this conversation up we could we could find things to talk about nonstop because we got 20 years of experience with you know over 20 years of you lion hunting there's no way we can cover all the fine points in a 50 60 minute conversation here one thing i have heard and this has been my observation uh from talking to you cleve is i just don't think there's anything that replaces experience you know the reason you know the difference between a tom track and a and a female track is because you've gone out and you've you've found the track and then you've caught the lion that made the track and then you put everything together and thought okay well that's that was a narrower track and that's why we've got we've got a hen in the tree rather than a tom and and you've put all those things together and you can't replace that by by reading a book or listening to a podcast you're getting out there and getting after it yeah 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 you learn learn a good bit on hands-on experience you know getting out there and doing it and and especially through failures you learn a lot from failure a lot more than you do successes yeah success sometimes all it does is strokes a guy's ego but it's failure it'll it'll teach him quite a bit teach him what he doesn't know that's exactly right yeah it keeps you humble but yeah for sure so yeah that's there's things to keep in mind and if you're trying to sort a line track out you know Anything else we missed, Cleve, before we need to wrap this segment up? We're going to do some more of these. Um, and, uh, man, I can't tell you how how awesome this information is for our listeners. And I think think guys will – even if they're a seasoned lion hunter, I can't, can't help but think that they'll think, yeah, I've seen that. Or, you know, I've seen that th- same thing, and, and now I know what it was. Or – you know, they'll at least consider everything that we've talked about and they'll find it entertaining, maybe reaffirming what they already know and, and things like that. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Ho- hopefully somebody got something out of it. So yeah. Yeah. Yep. I hope so, so too. Yeah. Well, Cle- Cleve, I'm going to wrap it up. If you don't have any other, any other things we need to cover, look at your yeah. notes quick. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's about it. I mean, there's some other things, but I think we'll put those on, those might be better points for another another episode. I think I'll I'll carry those over to another one. Great. Well, I yeah. appreciate it, Cleve. And uh, as always, till we talk again, you follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine. <laughs>